That, by the way, was Joey Mayfield, and to hear that prayer, you hear one reason why he leads our global ministries here in the heart that he has. So thank you for that, Joey. It is good to be back with you. I uh, imagine we might have some people new to the church this summer who are leaning over and going, who's that guy? So let me introduce myself. My name is Steve DeWitt. I have uh, served as a senior pastor here for a long, long time. But uh, this past year, and specifically this last summer, the church and the elders uh, granted me a uh, sabbatical, two-month sabbatical to get away and to decompress and to kind of get refreshed for the next season of of ministry. And I want you to know that um, I'm glad to be back. I was glad uh, to return and to uh, come and to find that my key still worked in the door. So I thought, apparently they want me to keep doing this thing, and I'm glad for that because I want to keep doing it. And uh, to move together together, it's, it's, it's really, really great. So what a summer, though, we've had here. It's been amazing, right? Uh, and, you know, I, it's gone so well, I half expect somebody to come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Steve, if this is how it goes when you're gone, could you be gone more often? And I would like to officially say, yes, that can be arranged if you so desire. But what a great summer. I'll get into that uh, here in a moment. I thought I would at least give you a little, a little report on uh, how things went for the DeWitts during the sabbatical. And I'll spare you the long slideshow because that's what everybody loves to see is somebody else's vacation slideshow. But just to uh, tell you a few things, um, you know, the elders really wanted us to go off the grid. They wanted us to decompress. They wanted us to get away. And... Uh, uh, we did that. In fact, um, I think it was even in maybe the first week, second week, somewhere in there, my wife Jennifer said to me, she goes, you know, I, I have to say, I like the, the new you here. She says, I like sabbatical Steve. <laughs> and I said, sweetheart, this is what I'm like when I'm not stressed out all the time. So apparently it worked. My wife even noticed uh, a, a little bit different me. So some of the things that we did, we just got some collage of photos here. Um, you know, we all have different ways of being renewed for us. One of the things we love to do, we love to travel. And so we, uh, we got away, we went and saw family, we went and saw friends. Um, we did a few things like that. We did a cruise. Um, I attended a, um, conference on C.S. Lewis at Oxford University in England. That was a real highlight. Um, that'll bear some fruit in the days ahead. I hope I played some golf. Uh, I love to read reading is a very refreshing thing for me. So I read a lot on this, uh, on this sabbatical and I read, uh, I mean, I read a biblical theology. I read a book on Evernote. I read a couple books on leadership. I read a book on depression, um, some other ones in there as well. But my big rate reading project was uh, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. And I'm sure most of you have read that already. <laughs> but about a year ago, I, you know, there's certain books you want to read before you die. Like they're, they're classics and you don't want to die having not read it. I don't know if there's a library in heaven, so you better read it now. 
and so for me, a year ago, that was one of, one of my, it's like, I need to read that before I die. I mean, it's one of the great classics of the Christian faith. So I, I began to read it last August, and I, I'm reading it on my Kindle app, and I'm, I read, and 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 it tells you how far you're, you're going. And I did all of that reading, and it like moved 1% on the, on the indicator, and I thought, this is going to take forever. So I sort of got discouraged, but during the sabbatical, like, I'm going to read this, and I was able to uh, complete its around 1,800 pages uh, on this time. So I did a lot of reading, spent a lot of time with Jennifer and our daughter, uh, Kira Lee, and and this also happened this summer. One more thing. Yeah, so, so our life is now different uh, now that that is happening. And uh, so you might say, was it like utopia? Was it just so magical? No, uh, it, it actually wasn't. Remember, we have a one-year-old, so it was naps, it was diapers, and uh, we've been sick for like weeks. I've been sick for, I think, three weeks, Jennifer, almost a month. Kirlie's been sick. I'll get into that in a second. So we dealt with some of that kind of stuff, but overall, it was a wonderful time away. I'm very, very thankful for it, and uh, I trust that God has used it to prepare me for the next season of ministry with you here at, uh, at this wonderful church. I also want to say thank you to our staff and, and many volunteers who, in one way or another, had to uh, carry the ball in my absence and I've heard nothing but great reports about the series on the seven churches of Revelation. So praise God for men who can handle God's word and can encourage the church. Um, and so thank you to a staff, the elders, everybody that uh, was a part of what it, it meant for this summer. We had some really big things that happened this summer. Did you notice? I hope you did. Uh, just to hit a couple highlights. Uh, this summer we kicked off our Gary campus and honestly one last weekend or last weekend we had, it's like our last weekend we can go anywhere to church that we want to go, but nothing made us happier than to think to go to the Gary campus. So we went to the Gary campus and I got to tell you to, to walk in there and to see, uh, the fruition of a vision that we shared with you almost a year ago was spectacular and the building looks fantastic i think they've showed some photos here but you really ought to see it so kudos to jeff collins and uh facility deacons and others who kind of worked their wizardry to make that beautiful it really is nice and just to see the worship and to hear the word proclaimed was was fantastic so praise god for the gary campus as you know last week we um had a had a vote here and uh, one of the big things that happened this summer was the fulfilling of the third part of our Mission Them 2.0, which, which was to reach out into the Hobart and the Portage community. And we shared that back in September. We said, we don't know how it's going to work. We don't know what's going to happen, but we ask you to give. We ask you to pray. And uh, shortly before I left, we began some discussions with Central Baptist Church about the possibility of merging with them. This is the church that our church came out from back in the 1920s, and so that's kind of cool. And um, I was part of some of those early discussions. Then I went on sabbatical, and uh, the staff handled the whole thing just beautifully. And last weekend, we had a vote. So our congregation voted, their congregation voted, 
And uh, on our end, it was, uh, you know, overwhelmingly uh, in favor of it, which was to be expected. Uh, But theirs was the bigger decision, frankly, because for them, it was a much bigger deal. Do they become, you know, a Bethel church? Do they kind of merge with us? And so I was very anxious. I was very anxious to hear how it went. I'm pleased to tell you that not only did their congregation vote approvingly to merge with us, it was almost unanimous. Four no votes total for that. Amazing. Now, I grew up in uh, Baptist circles. I grew up with church votes and all of that. And I believed in miracles before the vote last weekend. But I really believe in miracles now. Okay? So, I mean, to have any vote in a church on anything and to have it that close to unanimous is extremely remarkable. And I think we need to... uh, hear from them in that, their enthusiasm to join with us and to be a part of what God is doing here at Bethel Church. Now, here I am. This is uh, our third service this weekend. Today, I preached first service at nine, jumped in a car, raced over to Holbert campus, preached there at their 10 o'clock service, jumped in a car and raced back here in time to be with you today. So I was there today with them already. And to, you know, to walk in and to be cordially welcome for people to be greeting me and uh, all of that. I really feel like we have great partners and enthusiastic um, new members that want to see God do something in that community. So I'm excited about that. I really, you know, what can we say? It's like God is flinging doors open in front of us here, isn't it? I mean, think about last September, we said, we think God wants, we, we th- here's the three initiatives, Mission Them 2.0. We think we need to build a new auditorium because God's blessing the Cedar Lake campus. And in a couple weeks, that construction project begins. We said, we think God's calling us to Gary. We don't know how it's going to go, but be in prayer. And then God almost gave us the Boys and Girls Club. And we got a beautiful facility right downtown Gary. And services are going there now. And the third thing we said is, we think God's calling us to the Hobart Portage community. We don't know how it's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. And as of right now... We have a, uh, a small church, uh, but a great big facility right between Hobart and Portage. And in the coming weeks, we're going to begin more established kinds of partnering and merging and services. And off we go. Look what God has done in 10 months. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> Truly amazing. So friends, how can you not see that as the hand of God? I mean, how much of that was orchestrated and all? I mean, this is God's, this is God's doing, we believe. And so I'm excited to be uh, back here. These are really exciting days for us. And I wonder what God has next. You know, if this is what he's doing, what does he have? What does he have next? So what does a pastor speak on this first Sunday after a two-month sabbatical? I don't, I'm not aware of any books telling me what I'm supposed to speak on on that, on that issue. But I want to share with you one thing that happened to me during my time away. You know, it was great to get away, especially like that first day to realize that I've got like 59 to come. In fact, I said that to Jennifer after like the second or third day. I said, two down, 58 to go. She's like, don't do that. Stop that. I'm like, I just, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I mean, I got so much ahead yet. I'm already kind of relaxing. 
And, uh, you know, I'll tell you that the first week away was really, really great. The second week away was really great. The third week away was great. But somewhere in there, roughly, I found my heart uh, with a little bit of an ache in it, honestly, a longing. Because for 17 years, all I've known here is doing life and doing faith in this community. And that's in your ups and downs. That's in our church's ups and downs. That's in my own personal ups and downs. I've, I've lived in, you know, community with, with you and week in and week out to be together with worship and then through the week ministering. It's all I've known. And, uh, you know, the elders, they, they kind of went DEFCON 5 on the, on the don't talk with the DeWitt thing. Like, and if you do, you're out of the church, you know. So it was almost as if, uh, you know, that, they didn't say that. I'm exaggerating. But it was almost as if, you know, we, we would see people like in the store and they would just go running away. No, I don't want to be kicked out of the church. We can't talk to you. Can't even look at you. In some ways, it felt like church discipline almost because we went from full engagement with people to like nothing. And about week three, now the first week, don't get me wrong, it was really great, really great. I didn't miss you one bit. Uh, but about week three or four, I honestly missed the church. And so it's got me thinking about the relationship when it's healthy and when it's biblical, the relationship between shepherds and sheep. Like, what does that feel like? How ought that to be? And as I, as I talk about this, I want to acknowledge that we have, we have shepherds of varying kinds here. I mean, we have pastors, we have elders, um, we have small group leaders, we have staff, And what I'm sharing applies to some degree to all of that, but I'm mostly going to be focusing on that, that, that pastoral shepherding and sheeping relationship. What, what ought that to be like when it's healthy and when it's, it's biblical? And we look in the scriptures and we find that there is actually to say it this way, there, who's the pastor of this church? really. It's Christ, right? He is the chief shepherd of the one church. In reality, there is only one church. So the pastor of Bethel Church is Jesus. We could put that on the sign in front, on Broadway there. Senior pastor, or I mean really senior pastor, Jesus. Come. <laughs> uh, but in God's sovereign plan, he has set this all up where there are under shepherds. That's what Peter, how Peter describes them, human under shepherds who bear the responsibility for leading the congregation and uh, uh, spiritually loving and leading the, the flock. And when things are going well and when they are healthy, when the spirit is here, that relationship will be a very vital and vibrant one, a good one, something that is a blessing to everybody, including the pastor. So how ought that to be? What does that look like? Indeed, what ought that feel like? 
And that's where we're going. And, and I'd like to turn to Philippians today as our, our text for this message. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 1. And, uh, you know, as we go there, Paul writes this letter, and it's a wonderful letter. If you've, if you've never read Philippians, do yourself a favor. Maybe this week, read a chapter a day. You'll get through all four chapters, I think, in approximately four days. Look what the sabbatical's done. Look how fresh I am. Um, and, and it's uplifting. It's encouraging. It's a letter about joy. It's really a wonderful letter, Philippians. And he, he kicks it off right in chapter 1 with very affectionate language. He says, he says in verse uh, 3, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. He says in verse 7, I hold you in my heart. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that wrote Romans. This is a guy who, there's a stereotype that he was, you know, he was, he was intellectual, maybe nerdy. But yet we find here in this a tremendous capacity for love. The Apostle Paul loved people, held them in great affection. And we see that in his language. And here in, in chapter 4, verse 1, possibly the most affectionate verse in the entire Bible. Listen to how he writes to these Philippians. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, what I want to do today is I want to just walk through, walk the text, see what he says here. And note how he speaks of them. You know, we know a lot about how people feel about others by the way that we speak about others. I think about my, 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 my adopted grandparents, Grandma, uh, uh, Grandma and Grandpa Jackson, growing up. And uh, they, uh, my, my grand, Grandpa Jackson, he would always refer to Grandma Jackson. I mean, even, even kind of, you know, old, in his old, decrepit days, he always referred to her as Gorge. Okay, gorge, short for gorgeous, you bet. Now, doesn't that say a little something about how he felt towards her when all he would call her is gorgeous, gorge? Do we have some wives right now going, why don't you have a nice nickname for me? Call me Butte. And here the Apostle Paul, speaking of this church, which he founded, people he knew, uses incredibly affectionate language. Just note, note, note what he says. First of all, my brothers, my brothers, we could include sisters if you wanted in that. Read through the New Testament, this is very common. Oftentimes, Christians would refer to each other as brothers and sisters. Now, why would people who do not have DNA connection with one another refer to others as brothers and sisters? It is because, as Christians, if God is your father through Jesus, that means that you are my brother or my sister, and I am your brother. We are members of the family of God. And that's not just a make-up make marketing sort of term. We are actually in a family. We are a family. We are united in Jesus. God is our Father. You and I are brothers and sisters. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Some places are obnoxious with it, but... Uh, 
It's okay to say, hey, you know, brother, how are you doing? Or the modern translation, bro. Uh, you could do that as well. And to acknowledge that we are in a relationship that is spiritual and is eternal. We are actually brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Paul, he begins with that one, my, my brothers. Notice next he says, whom I love and I long for. And I'm going to add the end of that verse in there as well, my beloved. And the reason I put all of those together is that the The word that is used for love and beloved is that very familiar word to us. We've talked about it at length here at Bethel Church. It is that Greek word, agape. And agape love most often in the New Testament when it is used is referring to a a kind a kind of relationship that I have with you in which I am loving you in a manner where my intent in the loving is for your good. It is for your joy. It is for your growth. It is for your happiness. That I am not in this relationship for myself. I am not, I am not starting this to see what I can get out of it. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to use you. I don't have an ulterior motive in this. I am for you. And that's what Paul is saying to these Philippians. Whom I love and I long for. I'm not, I'm not just the bishop on top. I'm not, I'm not pontificating down to you. I'm not uh, the CEO. I love you. I long for you. You are my agape. You are my beloved. Do you hear the, I mean, it's just, it's just dripping with the kind of love that our hearts long for, both from God and from others. Somebody that loves me. They're not, they're not in it for themselves. They love me. And Paul says, you know what, Philippians? That's how I feel about you. I am for you. I am for your good and your growth and your joy. This is a love that sacrifices. Greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. For God so agape the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible is filled with this kind of Love. God showed it in his love for us in sending Jesus. Jesus showed it in his death on the cross for our sins. And now we are called to show it to one another. In fact, 1 John says, if you say that you know God, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. And the truth isn't in you. This love of God, it is transformational. And it shapes the way that we relate to one another and view these relationships The person sitting next to you is not random person A who's in my way as I make my way to the parking lot when the service is done. They are not random person B who uh, annoys me with their uh, uh, habits and attitudes and for whom I'm glad I'm not in a small group. That person around you, and I say this often when I come in, and the people will be sitting there, will be like, one person in here, one person here. I'll say, hey, did you guys uh, meet before the service? And they look at each other like, no, we don't do that sort of thing. Really? Really? You are in an eternal relationship, and it's one of love and family formed by the work of Christ. Love, cherishing. That's a perfect sound effect for the story I'm about to tell. 
You know, to talk about what love is, actually, I learned a lesson in my own life about this this week. I mentioned that we've been sick. And uh, this past week, Kirley got really sick. I mean, really sick. And we were at the doctor, and they gave an assessment and medicine. We started doing that. The next day, she just went really, really bad. And we, you know, super high fever. We called the hotline Thursday night, you know, the pediatrician hotline, and said what was going on. They said, you've got to get her to the ER now. We, you know, heart's in our in our stomachs. We race to the ER and doctor, ER doctor takes one look at her and says, oh, we've got to do all the tests. So we're like, oh no, you know, and, and so they began to do tests, many of them unpleasant ones. And, and I know lots of you've been through this, but for me, it was the first time, you know, holding her down as they drew blood from her. And holding her head in another test that they did, and, and I had to do it. I had to hold her head. And uh, for uh, her eyes, you know, going back and forth from mommy to daddy, like, you know, I thought you loved me. And, you know, and she, ah, I can't believe, you know, why are you hold, restraining me? And we're holding her arms down, and we're saying, we love you so much. We love you. And it just broke our hearts. My heart breaks just thinking about it now again. And um, why... Did we do that? It was because we loved her that we allowed her to be hurt and to experience pain. How easy it would be for her to misinterpret that. And how easy it is for us to misinterpret that from God. You know, the last, I've been downloading everything that's been happening, you know, for two months here. People, this person lost their job, this person's moved, this person lost a loved one. You know, this week I see the Stat family right here, third row. And uh, one thing that happened, Dick Stat passed away, one of the finest Christian men in our whole church. Monday we had the funeral here. And, you know, to think about this family right here, grieving the loss of a fine Christian man, it hurts. It hurts. Or to think about last night, 6.04, let me backtrack, Pastor Gary, I was sitting right here, Pastor Gary, before the Saturday night service, whispered in my ear, Steve wanted you to know Jim Klein passed away tonight at 6.04. I don't know how many of you know Jim Klein, but longtime member of our church, um, longtime follower of Christ, and had been in a really hard way physically for a long time. It was not a surprise. Uh, that he had died. But just so poignant to me to think about him dying at 6.04 last night because one of the things that he loved to do here, he was one of these guys that you see at the back, you know, and they say, and now will the volunteers come forward and they come down and the passive place. You might not look these people in the eye, but these are real people. And Jim was one of those guys and he loved it. I come walking in and he'd, he'd always say, hey, you ready to go, boss? And he would shake my hand or I should say crush my hand with his handshake. And uh, he just loved to serve in that way. And, and to think that he died at 6.04, because there were a lot of times on a Saturday night at 6.04 where he was right here, he was right there, and he was serving the Lord. And that family now grieving that loss. And I don't know about you, whatever, whatever that is for you, those painful moments we can think, 
well, God doesn't love me. If he loved me, this would turn out a different way. They would feel a little bit different. And yet so often the love of God means that he brings us through these times because he loves us. And we misinterpret that so often. And pastorally to realize that there are times where a good shepherd, you know, he has a rod and a staff, doesn't he? Psalm 23. And that in God's providence, there are times where the shepherd has to wield both of those. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. And sometimes it's an admonishing word. And yet it is for our good when it is given in love. He goes on to say, my joy and my crown. And that's no small statement when you realize where he is when he writes it. He's, he's under arrest. He's, he's uh, in Rome, under arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. And yet he says, you know what? Even here I have joy. And the, the way that I have joy, I know I'm in, under arrest. And I know I can't go anywhere. And I know I've got chains around my, my wrist. But I got joy here in this place because I think about you Philippians. And I think about who you are and your Christian life and your commitment to Jesus and the fruit that's being born and the whole story of Lydia and the Philippian jailer and all of that. I got joy when I think about that. A source of joy and crown, he says. And the crown there is not the royalty crown. It's the victor's crown. It's the crown that you get at the end of a race when you've run well. And Paul says, you know what, for me, you are my crown. You are that gift from God. You're, you're, like a, you're like a laurel wreath. You're like a gold medal to me. How glad I am in you. I rejoice in you. So do you hear that pastoral affection? I mean, it is, it's, just, it's like dripping off of the verse. And Paul wanted it to drip off the verse because he wanted these, uh, these Christians to know how he felt about them. He loved them genuinely. And I want you to know in my time away that definitely absence made the heart grow fonder. I mean, I, it's great to see, you know, it's great just to look around and to see stories and I'll spare it. But I just, I look like, look, just this little section right here. Like, I'm excited about what's going on in his life and his life, their life, their life. And I could tell you the stories behind some of that. It'd be really cool, but I don't have time. Okay. And they wouldn't want me to probably anyway. But how, how exciting it is to be in a place where people are they're, they're, they're following Christ. They're doing it in the good times and the bad. They're loving the Lord. They're serving Him. I mean, what better place could there be than a church family that's doing that? And I just want you to know, I love you. I, you are my joy and my crown. And I am delighted to be back and to be with you. And I think when... When this is healthy, no matter what local church it is, when it's healthy, there are shepherds who love the sheep and there are sheep who want them to and who rejoice in that. Okay? So good shepherds, they will love well, very well. Not perfectly, but well. Now, if I stopped right here, you'd say, oh, that was such a wonderful message. First of all, it was short. And secondly, um, secondly, it was so... It was so uh, warm and devotional, right? We could stop right there. We could leave right now. And you're like, don't ruin it, Steve, because you're at a really good place. I'm going to ruin it by going on to the next verse. Because the next verse points out the other aspect of good shepherd-sheep relationship. Uh, Not only do good shepherds love well, but they also lead well. They lead well. 
And leading means at times saying the difficult word and addressing problems and setting directions that maybe not everybody is all hunky-dory with, but yet the shepherd is called to do it. And we see Paul doing it. It, This is actually one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, and most pastors probably would uh, amen that. Okay, so verse 1, chapter 4, love, affection, my beloved. Here's verse 2. Read it with me. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sundaki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Whoa. I mean, you think he, coming off of verse 1, it would just sort of come in for a nice soft landing, but what does he do? Bam! He says, and now I'm going to address some problems in the church. And he does so by name. He calls out two women by name and tells them that they need to get along. So this is going to be shocking and surprising to you, but apparently in the first century church, there were women who didn't get along. (laughs) You might say, well, they probably, you know, they just, they rubbed each other the wrong way. No, no, no. The text says that they actually labored side by side with the apostle Paul himself. There was a time when these two women, they were like BFF. I mean, they were And with Paul himself, they were tight, laboring together, calling one another, enjoying the relationship with one another. They were tight. They were close. And again, this is scandalous, but these women somehow had a fallen out. And apparently first century women, sometimes their feelings would change towards one another. Now, I, for one, am glad that we are not living amongst first century women. (laughs) And that we have moved beyond that in the modern day church. Now, before you sort of slide this into the weird category, I want you to realize that we're talking about Philippi here. Okay, this isn't Corinth where everybody was weird. This is Philippi. This is this is uh, this is Lydia, right? Praying by the creek. Paul comes up, she hears their words, she becomes a Christian, presumably financing the early church. This is Philippi, this is, this is Paul in prison at midnight singing hymns. That itself is extraordinary. But then there's a earthquake and the Philippine uh, jailer assumes that all the prisoners had run out and he's going to take his own life because in the morning they're going to kill him anyway. That was the rule in the Roman army. And they cry out, we're still here. And he's so dumbfounded and no doubt having heard their words and maybe their hymns, he says, what must I do to be saved? I mean, this is, this is Philippi. This is the letter of joy. This is, this is this place that, I mean, if you could pick a church of all the letters here that you could go and be a part of, most of us might pick Philippi. And yet, in spite of all of that and the Apostle Paul's affection and love for them, they had problems. 
Why? Because there were people there. And their spat documented in history, documented in Scripture, named by name. Imagine me getting up and saying, all right, Susan and Jane, you're over here, you're over here, I'm calling you out right now. Y'all need to get along, okay? You'd leave here horrified. That was so inappropriate, (laughs) right? That's what Paul does in Scripture. And this means in heaven... You're going to meet Sundaki, and you're going to say, are you and Yodia still kind of... She's going to, I've said it a thousand times. We're good. It's heaven. <laughs> so what's the point? Here's the point. When things are healthy, good shepherds love well. And when things are healthy, healthy uh, they, they lead well. And that is going to mean that... To be the shepherd is to wield the, the rod and the staff. It is to admonish. It is to exhort. It is to strive for unity in the church. When a pastor approaches you and says, you know, I love you enough to say this to you, it doesn't mean they hate you. It doesn't. He wasn't hating Yodia. He wasn't hating Sundiki. He was loving Christ, the church, and them, Right? And that's all part of shepherding as well. And somehow, in our modern day, the view of maybe pastor, elder, is that they just, they just ooze with love. If, if, if only the Apostle Paul was our pastor here, we'd all get along and be great. No. No. Why? Because we are sinners. And so's the pastor, by the way. And so we look then at this model, and we see that imperfect pastors, loving and leading, imperfect sheep who want them to love and to lead, is on this side of glory as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. And it's really, really good. As my own heart told me in my time away from this congregation, that we have something special that is going on here. And it's really, really good. And when I don't have it, I miss it. I miss you. The last thing I want to say is that uh, all of these feelings that we may have, at least that I have, really are not about you. Like take three, week four where I was like, I miss them so much. I actually didn't say it. I, it was maybe week seven. Week four, I didn't feel that way. Um, but what was I really longing for? In all of that. As much as I love Bethel Church, I'm not really longing truly for you. And as much as you might long for a really great pastor, you're not really longing for a really great pastor. All of these things, all of these longings, this is part of what C.S. Lewis was so brilliant in, was that these longings are intended to point us to something greater. Okay? All of us, we all want Aslan. We all want Narnia. We want the new Narnia. And all of the imperfections of the old Narnia, and even the kings of Narnia, they're not as great as as Aslan is. And we live here in the old Narnia where there's uh, nymphs and trolls and giants and strange creatures. 
most of who attend this church. (laughs) But can we see with the eyes of Scripture that we are longing for our chief shepherd? Who do we really want? We want Christ. We want perfect unity, which heaven will be with God and with man. So all this love and affection are little reflections of what it will be like to be with Christ and to experience his love in all its fullness. So while I missed you with pastoral affection, the sense of something missing was my desire truly for Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's it right there. So may he be the end of our searchings and may all our longings find their rest in him. To him be all the glory. Amen. Pray with me if you would please and let us stand together.